Warning, the following podcast probably contains dirty words and graphic descriptions of ass-kicking action. Welcome to the Adkins Diet Podcast, the podcast where we attempt to watch and discuss every movie featuring prolific actor and martial artist Scott Adkins. This is Adam, and I am joined, as always, by my wonderful wife, Whitney. Hey, y'all. For November, we are watching the newest Scott Adkins movies available. This episode, that means we are watching Savage Dog which has not actually come out on DVD and Blu-ray yet, but will later this month, and will probably show up on some streaming services, but we rented it on Amazon Video. It is written and directed by Jesse V. Johnson, and I was curious to see it because that same director is directing the next two Scott Adkins movies we'll be seeing later this year, hopefully. Uh, one of which is Accident Man, in which Adkins will play a British comic book character in a movie he has been trying to produce and develop and also co-wrote for a while now, with a cast that includes some other awesome fighters, including Michael Jai White. And then the big release that I'm looking forward to will be Triple Threat, which will have Scott Adkins, Michael Jai White, and will also feature... Tony Jaa, Iko Uweiss from the Raid movies, Tiger Chen, and Gigi Yanin, the awesome martial artist from Chocolate from the director of Ong Bak. So this time we're watching Savage Dog, which takes place in 1956 in Indochina, after France had left but before America had gotten involved in a camp where former war criminal where european war criminals and vietnamese warlords lord over prisoners and pit fights and scott adkins is a, Brit- a british prisoner there who is forced to fight now the movie does begin with voiceover which is often a bad sign in movies but in this case the voiceover is by the legendary keith david so I couldn't help but get a little excited about it. Now, many people might know Keith David from some of his famous 80s roles, including The Thing and the legendary fight scene in They Live with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, He's also become a major voice actor throughout the last few decades, starring in everything from Gargoyles and Spawn to recent shows like Adventure Time and Rick and Morty. Some of us might remember him from the beautifully stupid and short-lived series The Cape. He's been in all the Saints Row video games. Uh, He's in Pitch Black and Chronicles of Riddick. And Morgan Freeman may be the voice of God, but Keith David is the voice of the Bible in the Bible miniseries, 
which is why I rank Keith David just behind Morgan Freeman in terms of authoritative, authoritative black dudes of voiceover and just ahead of Dennis Haysbert because Dennis Habert, Haysbert has the power of God to wreck your cars and his insurance advertisements, but he's not the voice of the Bible like Keith David or the voice of God like Morgan Freeman. Adkins is playing Martin Tillman, a British man with a bounty and a judgment against his head who is living on these pit fights. Tillman is noticed by Isabel, played by Juju Chan, a local woman who brings flowers every week to the German commanding officer in charge of the camp. And every week her flowers are ignored and thrown away, but she starts to form a bond with Adkins, who doesn't believe he's worthy of any kind of help or attention, but she continues to visit him. So after Tillman's first fight, in which he easily defeats another fighter in a muddy pit, we see Marco Zoror come in as the executioner. Zoror punishes the loser by executing him with a really bad CGI stab. And soon a British warrant officer or investigator visits the camp looking for Tillman. As a result, Zoror and the German and the Vietnamese officer played by Vietnamese-American martial artist Kung Lee all meet up and tell Adkins that they're going to let him go and they, I guess, don't want the heat on them from the investigator. So Adkins goes free and goes to find Isabel, since she was the only person who was kind to him. Uh, at that point, we find out that Isabel is possibly the daughter of the German leader of the camp, although he took her birth as a sign that Isabel's mother was unfaithful and rejected both of them. So Keith David who was uh, the assistant to the German commander, adopts Isabel, and now runs the world's tiniest bar uh, just outside of the camp. And, like, this bar is so small that it looks like it might have been a set in somebody's garage. This is the world's tiniest bar. Keith David continues with the voiceover and describes how Isabel and Martin fall in love because the script didn't have time to establish that, so we just get a little montage of them having lovey-dovey moments with no dialogue and Scott or and Keith David describing them falling in love. One night in the bar, a number of people are starting to get rough and rowdy, and since Adkins is working as the bouncer for Keith David, he beats up two of them and ejects them from the bar, at which point their buddy, who is a large British gentleman, challenges Adkins, and Adkins beats up him and his whole crew. The next day, the leaders of the camp show up and explain that this was a British boxer that they had brought in for their pit fighting, and they were very upset to find out that Adkins had kicked his ass and all his buddies. So they try and recruit Adkins to come back and fight for him, and vaguely threaten Keith David's bar a little bit, saying that maybe that's a nice location that they want to expand into. But they don't really 
get too they don't like smash anything up or anything like would usually happen in a movie like this they just they just kind of vaguely threaten and keith david gives an inspirational speech to scott adkins where he says hey you know the other night when you were beating the shit out of all those guys i saw something in your face like maybe that's something you're good at maybe that's what you should do and pursue so go do pit fights i guess um so adkins makes his girlfriend swear that she will never watch him fight or bet on his fights or anything like that and he goes off to go do some pit fighting and he proceeds to beat the shit out of a whole lot of people uh during this time the british investigator visits keith david's bar and explains that tillman is a wanted member of the ira and that he was responsible for some deaths so that's why people are after him and keith david says he was here before but he's not anymore and sends him on his way after a number of fights it becomes apparent that there's no chance of adkins losing anymore so the bosses agree that if he takes a fall they'll give him a quarter of the bets and he can go on his way and he and his lover can go find a new life so he does take a fall in the final fight and it turns out that keith david had bet all his money and his bar on the fight for adkins to win um, they never have a discussion about this and it's never established that either of them knew what the other was doing but the bad guys still show up at david's bar and it seems like a big deal like adkins betrayed david but they didn't know what the other one was doing things escalate very quickly at this point uh, they say they're going to take david's bar to make up for his debts and uh, they quickly get violent as keith david pulls a gun and they threaten isabel and people start shooting people and keith david gets shot up with his own pistol isabel gets shot with a shotgun and scott adkins is just walking in from outside and gets shot with a shotgun um i really don't know i guess maybe it's just that marco zoror's character likes killing people but it didn't seem like there was any reason to escalate things at this point they could have just come back later and taken keith david's bar no no the boss guy is like hey don't do that and he's like no i'm gonna show my force and i'm gonna take over this situation and i'm gonna shoot um what's no the no name? the german boss guy comes in afterwards because he comes in after keith david's been shot and isabel's been shot because he comes in and sees that marco zoror shot isabel and he's like what the hell are you doing dude this wasn't part of the deal now previous to this we did get a scene where the german boss guy wrote a letter to isabel which was some cold-blooded shit which basically said hey once i loved your mom a whole lot and i bet you want me to say that i love you too but i don't and i just think you're a sign that she was a lying whore and i don't love either of you 
and like that's the whole letter and he leaves it on the picture he has framed of her him and her mother but he he does show up after isabel gets gut shot and is like what the hell are you doing and marco's aurora is just like i'm doing my thing and then he goes outside and shoots scott adkins who's walking up unarmed um at this point keith david is dead but his voiceover continues um, he is apparently an omniscient narrator. So does that qualify Keith David for being the voice of God also? I think so. So so we can say that just like Morgan Freeman, Keith David has been the voice of God, or at least some form of omniscient narrator. Uh, so Zoror and his goons bury Scott Adkins and Isabel in a giant pile of mud and uh we get a fun scene of adkins digging himself out of the mud and finding isabel and cradling her and screaming now here's the thing the movie begins with a flash forward to this scene of of him pulling isabel out of the mud so the first thing you think because the voiceover of keith david is talking about how he was wronged and how a legend was formed and blah 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 and you see him pulling her body out of the mud you assume she's dead right yeah like at the beginning of the movie i thought she was she was dead he pulls her out keith david explains that both adkins and isabel survived and he cradles her body but she's still alive so he gets some forest gunk and kind of, you know, covers up her wound with it. And uh, then we get kind of a confusing sequence where he's cradling her and patching her up. Um, but then he wakes up by a fire that he may or may not have built. And he has a beard all of a sudden. But he's still got like an open bloody wound that he has to cauterize with a burning hot machete so like has he been bleeding for like two weeks while he grew that beard no dude scott atkins is just the man and he grows a super beard in like two days so he grew your typical pop culture grief beard but over a course of like a couple hours (laughs) he he was grieving so hard that he grew the grief beard like within a day because if if he hadn't cauterized that wound he was bleeding from an open wound he would have died no he just grows it in like you know 48 hours okay so just instant grief beard i guess i can get behind that now here's the thing though grief beard usually means someone died but like i said before isabel didn't die he uh finds some local villagers i guess or whatever and they pick her up on a bamboo stretcher and take her to their village and you think okay no 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 but he says i'm giving her up so that i could never see her again well that's what i I have to have vengeance on the people that did this to her if she survives and if she dies then i will die with her oh yeah i I forgot he did he did have a little prayer there as he's holding her body but it but like you said his prayer doesn't make sense his prayer says if she dies then let me die with her and we will both go to the great beyond or heaven or whatever but if she lives then let me live to take revenge 
Like yeah, that Scott doesn't. Atkins is kind of crazy in this movie and filled <laughs> with like evil demon revenge and like hate and the force of vengeance. I don't know. I I don't know if that was the intent, but that is what it kind of seems like because he he takes her to the villagers and and leaves her and because of that prayer he does say okay well i can never see her again i've got to go take revenge for her but like she's still alive no but think about all the stuff that happens to him before she dies like in the prison he's forced to fight for his life he didn't really and seem it seems that like upset they're about killing that. prisoners who aren't winning the fight we only so... saw we only saw marco zorora kill that one prisoner who lost a fight though it didn't seem like that was a regular thing it just seemed it like marco like zorora fighting showed for up his life so he has this rage in his heart like i have to fight to live and once his beloved dies he has to fight for her life but she doesn't die. So yeah, he fights so for vengeance for what they did to her. But it still kind of doesn't make sense. <laughs> okay, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's just... But he has this fighting heart in him. But he didn't... Remember the Keith David character even says, you seem to have this in you. I see this in you. Yeah, but Keith... Scott Adkins didn't see it in him before that. It took Keith... David saying, "Hey, you're really good at kicking people's asses. Maybe you should try doing that." Like, and he wholeheartedly takes that <laughs> advice. I I guess it's it's just really weird that like I'm not saying that I wanted the female character to die. You know, it's it's not awesome when characters get fridged and female characters die just to motivate the male character but at the same time considering oh, no. that half the misogynist in me totally wanted her to be dead so he <laughs> could have vengeance but that, but that's what i'm saying like it's not even a misogyny thing it's just a like from what we expect from a story structure if a guy is going to go into crazy revenge mode you expect someone to have died like that was part of what made john wick so fun was the way it subverted that trope by having the wife die of cancer and then the dog is the last thing the wife gave him so when the dog dies he goes crazy and goes revenge like that was already no, but in this story keith david dies and they wounded they mortally wounded her but she was brought back to life by this ancient asian spiritual magic yeah, he didn't really seem that bummed about Keith David dying. But anyway, we, we've talked enough about how this revenge is kind of questionable. Now, if it, if it was just, like, killing a couple dudes, then maybe we wouldn't have noticed this as much. But the reason that this is such a big deal to us, that, that Isabel is still alive... Well, first of all, they could have just left. Like, their plan was to leave to begin with he, <laughs> she survived they could yeah, have totally just bounced they could have gotten the hell out of there they could have just been like all right well they think we're dead let's go yeah keith david gave them the passport with his picture in it he could have just gotten that and left but, but but no they fucked with us so it's revenge time and uh, as Keith David continues his voiceover from Beyond the Grave, he quotes one of the most overquoted 
passages ever with the whole behold a pale horse called death comes um so at this point fucking scott adkins starts hunting down the the head guys and anyone else in his way and he comes after uh the spanish guy other than marco's roar's character who's not a fighter who's one of the leader guys and he comes running in with a machete and it's just Django machete squad. He fucking hacks these two guards up like brutally before this point in the movie. It's, it's been mostly people getting like punched and kicked and knocked out. And we did have a couple characters get shot or stabbed, but it hasn't been super violent. Um, but at this point it's just Django machete squad and Adkins comes running in with a machete and hacks up the two guards outside of the little building that the Spanish bad guys in like just brutally just laying into them with the machete. He chops one dude's head off and it's not like a swipe and then it's gone. Like he just holds his head and chops at his neck for a couple swipes and then pulls off his decapitated head for no real reason. Um, and then he pursues the guy back to Keith David's tiny bar, which is now being run by Keith David's Vietnamese wife since he is dead. And Adkins comes in with the machete and kills everyone in the bar. Um, the Spanish guy runs out again and, and hides, but... He just murders the shit out of everybody with the machete. Um, and then he goes and shaves off his grief beard, which was kind of weird. Like, you had him miraculously grow his grief beard during the time that he was bleeding from an open wound. But then you have him shave it off before he goes in for, like, the final showdown. Uh, we see the German guy preparing for death he puts his swastika pin back on because he says that he should you know die proud and the way he lived you know as a fucking nazi and he also sets up a mounted machine gun in his office and he's waiting for adkins to come in and and adkins does and shoots the hell out of a bunch of people um, there's a scene where he shoots one guy with a shotgun, like, five times, maybe? Like, at least four, maybe five times, and then goes in and blows off the lower half of his head with a final shot that was completely unnecessary. Uh, he shoots a bunch more people, shoots a bunch of people in a hallway... And they try and blow him away with the mounted machine gun, but they only had, like, a belt of, I guess, 100 rounds because it's gone in, like, 30 seconds. And then Adkins just comes in and shoots everybody. Uh, there's a fun bit here where after Adkins has killed the German leader guy, uh, Kung Lee... With a sword! Oh, yeah, he, d he does pull a sword off the wall and stab the hell out of him because... All the deaths have to be super violent at this point in the movie. And the German guy's all like, you won't kill me. I'm an aristocrat and you're nothing. And then he stabs him. <laughs> uh, so then Kung Lee comes in 
And one of the only bits I thought was kind of clever or subtle in the movie, um, for some reason Adkins says that he has no beef with Kung Lee. I assume that Kung Lee was one of the people he was talking about taking revenge on because he was one of the leaders of the camp. I guess we never saw him doing anything particularly evil and he was just there for the local authority. Um, but in, in a great little moment, Kung Lee explains, you may not have a problem with me, but you just like destroyed my occupation. Like, this was how I supported my wife and kids. I worked here. This was just my job. And you killed everybody and took that away from me. So now it's fight time. And they have a, a pretty good knockdown, drag out fight sequence in the, uh, the office. And Adkins only wins because he realizes... He totally grabs a gun and shoots this nope. guy. So at the beginning of this confrontation, uh, Kung Lee came in with a gun and he, he puts his gun down to have an honorable fight with Adkins. And then in one of the more fucked up moments in the movie, he totally grabs a gun and just shoots him. Yeah. Ad, Adkins just grabs Kung Lee's gun. Like, I guess the fight's getting too challenging for him because they're going pretty equally toe-to-toe just wailing on each other and getting injured and punch drunk um so he just like rolls over a couch and grabs kung lee's gun and shoots him so the bad guy put the gun down and was like let's do this like men and then adkins is like nah son this is a little too challenging no no he smashes Kung Lee through a table and he just gets back up and then Scott Atkins is like nah I'm not doing this shit and he just grabs a gun and he shoots it yeah it's uh it was pretty surprising for for the good guy to do that um so and then after this he shoots a bunch more guards and goes after uh Marco Zoror's character who escapes um eventually he tracks down Zoror later, and they have a brutal hand-to-hand -hand fight that goes on for a while until Adkins realizes that he needs to punch the shit out of Zoror's legs. And after he punches his legs a bunch, he knocks him out, uh, pulls the machete, does the, probably the other worst CGI stab in the movie, um, and then pulls out... Zoror's kidney or liver maybe and turns him over and says look at this and takes a big old bite out of his kidney or liver as Zoror watches and dies and then he spits it out and gets up and leaves <laughs> uh, later the British agent shows up and says hey I've been looking for you but you know I need people like you with your skills so Maybe you could just be my agent here. So the end of the movie, I guess, is Scott Adkins becomes a spy or a mercenary for the British government that was hunting him down. Happy ending. I guess. He he learned. Um, you get a little more voiceover from Keith David about how Scott Adkins learned that deep down he's just a fighter and a killer. 
and we iris out on new secret agent murderer Scott Adkins, and it's a happy ending where he learned to love his love of killing, I guess. <laughs> it was definitely a questionable happy ending. <laughs> so yeah, this movie left us with a number of questions. Um, it was pretty entertaining. Um, the, the fight scenes in the first half were a little bland, um, but once you get into the whole second half with the crazy revenge, you get some decent hand-to-hand fights and okay shootouts. Um, it's just really, really violent in the second half. Uh, I feel like there was a fair amount of practical blood and gore in there also, but it could have been all CG, and maybe it was just that some of the CG blood looked really terrible, and other parts of it looked a lot better, so you didn't notice, but I feel like there were some geysers of corn syrup going on in there. Um, if, If not, then a lot of the CGI blood looked pretty good, but... This was definitely the most violent Scott Adkins movie I've seen other than Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, which we will discuss in a later episode. But, like, that movie is violent with purpose. Like, that's a borderline horror movie. Whereas this one, I don't know. if if I enjoy gratuitous violence, but it felt a little gratuitous even for me. What did you think? I don't know. I thought it was good. I liked how much blood there was going on. <laughs> well, you do love the violence. I'm just saying, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe I just couldn't get past the fact that he's revenging someone who's still alive. I like, guess if you look past that though, like even the corny parts where the blood was obviously CG and it was just like looking really bad. I really liked how bloody it was. Yeah, it was fun. It just, I don't know. It it's just so weird to have a like and that's because it's a fakakta story. (laughs) Yes, that is accurate. It's like I don't know, and and I hate to say it because I feel like I'm feeding into bad movie tropes and and unpleasant things but like if she had been raped like there are lots of rape revenge movies where someone survives but then they take revenge or someone takes revenge for them and there are lots of regular revenge movies where somebody dies and then somebody takes revenge for him but like this wasn't death wish this wasn't john wick this was, but they intended to murder them. But he actively makes the choice not to go live a life with her and get away from it. Like, he chooses to just wallow in blood and violence and yeah, leave her forever. I guess. That's the awesome part, dude. <laughs> that's I what guess. Makes it so sweet. I guess. He's yeah. just a killer. He's a natural born killer. I, I think they could have built more into that. I think other than the one bit where Keith David says, hey, I saw your face when you were wailing on those people. Maybe you just love beating the that shit out of people. That was enough for me. He had the crazy <laughs> eyes. I, I guess that was enough for you. Um, an- another thing I thought was fun. 
I don't know about you, but I didn't realize that Adkins' character Martin Tillman was Irish until they mentioned the IRA thing. And then after that, I was like, oh, I guess occasionally he does have kind of an Irish accent. Yeah, his Irish accent was real bad. It's, I mean, you know, a British person doing a half-assed Irish accent is still probably better than you're going to get from someone from outside of the UK doing an Irish accent. But yeah, it wasn't. Um, In Britain and Ireland, there's a distinct difference, and he did not pull it off. Yeah, it it could have used more work. Um, like like the weaker fight scenes in the movie, I'm just gonna be generous and attribute that to the limited time and budget. Um, that is one thing that I could definitely feel weighing on this movie was direct to video and low budget action movies have really suffered in recent years from piracy and. Adkins himself has specifically come out and asked people to rent or buy his movies because people keep bootlegging them and the budgets get lower and the shooting time gets lower. So I want to say this movie was a lot weaker than the movies he's done with Isaac Florentine, like the Undisputed movies and the Ninja movies, but those were also made years ago, so he probably had more money and more time to make those movies than Jesse V. Johnson had with this one. So I'm I'm still holding out hope. I didn't love this movie, but I think there's still potential for Accident Man and Triple Threat to live up to the casts that are involved. Uh, so I, I really do hope that this movie, that the, the best scenes were what we can look forward to as a level of quality and and that the weaker scenes were just a result of not having enough time or money. So let's get to the Adkins nutrition facts for this movie. Uh, the first fight comes just four minutes in when Adkins wails on that dude in the mud pit. For KOs from other characters... There's only one, and it's actually not even a real KO because Adkins takes the fall in that final fight. That's the only time anyone other than him gets a knockout. Uh, For other people's kills, we have the one guy Marco Zoror kills for losing to Adkins at the beginning, one dead Keith David, and Adkins and Isabel buried and left for dead, but not actually dead, so only two kills. Now, let's get into Adkins' KOs and kills. So, Martin Tillman knocks out 17 people at my count in the montage of the pit fights that we get along with the couple we see in full. Adkins' kill count is 37. Not quite as high as we saw in El Gringo, but way more violent and gory and just him hacking people up with machetes. He does shoot a lot of people also, but it's still different from El Gringo where he was just running and gunning. And this, it's more like the scene where he shoots that guy like five times with the shotgun. (laughs) It's just brutal and, and violent. We do get one training montage, which I was very excited to see which is after Adkins has been left for dead and he takes Isabel to stay with the villagers, he 
has an improvised jungle gym that's like a boxing pillar made out of bamboo and a pull-up bar made out of bamboo. And I really appreciated that and thought that that was a lot of fun. Um, for best move, I don't really have one that I remember particularly. Did you have... A... I mean, there was lots of roundhouse kicks and stuff like that, but it wasn't anything in particular. Yeah, he didn't really bust out any of his more ingenuitive or fancy kicks. Um, I, I do think that they were trying to keep a lot of it somewhat period appropriate where it's just mid-century boxing. Um, so he didn't quite get into the full MMA or like flying kicks and shit that he usually does. Um, I think Marco Zoror got the fanciest move. He got to do a, a simpler version of Adkins like double roundhouse kick at one point where he did like the spinning kick and then the faint kick afterwards. Uh, but not not a particularly memorable move really in the movie. And now with the Abskins report, here's Whitney. I'm giving this movie a 5 out of 10 for the Abskins report because there was only two scenes where he was shirtless. Every fight scene in the pit fights. I'll give it a 6 out of 10 because the pit scenes do count. But there was only two exclusive scenes where he was shirtless. And I feel like those were very satisfying scenes. It was lots of shirtless Scott Atkins and his abs and his pecs just rippling and his muscles. It was hot, but there wasn't a whole bunch of it. So the Abskins report is that he gets a 6 out of 10 because he was very hot, but there was not enough hotness. I gotta say, I think Marco Zorora looked pretty smart in his suit, too. And Marco Zorora looked really hot when he kept getting knocked down in the mud. Yeah, the uh, his gun holster suspenders and his fedora and white suit were pretty sweet outfit, I gotta say. He looked pretty cool. Um, Juju Chan as Isabel was very pretty. Uh, no gratuitous nudity from her. And I do have to say, unfortunately, her acting was one of the worst parts of the movie. Um, nobody comes off amazing in this, probably due to that short shooting time that I mentioned. That makes it hard to have enough time to get a lot of really good takes and get actors comfortable in the roles. Everybody was pretty decent, um, except Juju was kind of noticeably bad. There were a couple of scenes where it definitely felt like Keith David was just asked to, like, improvise something randomly. We get two or three scenes that just cut in on the end of him telling a joke that we don't have the full context of or anything, and I guess he they just wanted him to be funny or be charming. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, we didn't have a script for... Isabel and Tillman falling in love, so we just have Keith David describe it in voiceover. But overall, I'd say it was was a pretty entertaining movie. Um, not my favorite Adkins, not up there with the Florentine Adkins collaborations that I've seen, but it was a good mid-tier Adkins movie. I have to disagree. This is like my second favorite Adkins movie. It had lots of blood. It had a love story. It had revenge. 
Those are all things that I love. But I kind of half-assed all of them. But I love the way it was done. Yeah, I guess just the combination was entertaining, but... So I'm guessing this is just behind Undisputed 2 for you so far. Yes. I'm I'm kind of cheating and thinking of it in terms of other stuff that I've watched that we'll talk about later. Well, um, I haven't seen that stuff. This is this is what I've seen so far. You've seen and some of them. And We're, it's second behind the Undisputed 2 because yeah. I love fucking Boyka. Boyka, Boyka, Boyka. But I have to say, Martin really does tug at my heartstrings as a lady and as a 13-year-old boy in me has a need for gratuitous gore without reason. I th- I think if I took out the fight scenes with Marco Zoror and Kung Lee, that this would rank below El Gringo for me. I think El Gringo had more entertaining shootouts. I guess Savage Dog had more story. And because it did have those two good knockdown drag out fights with Marco Zoror and Kung Lee, all rated higher um, than El Gringo. But I, I'd, I'd still probably prefer Wolf Warrior to this. I would say this was a better Adkins movie than Wolf Warrior because he's in it more. But in terms of overall action and entertainment, I'd still put it below Wolf Warrior. But it, I could put it above. I put El it above Wolf Warrior because there's more Scott Adkins in it shirtlessness gore overall just revenge plot even though it doesn't make sense (laughs) still things i love and liver or kidney eating (laughs) yeah i wasn't a big fan of the liver or kidney eating really that was you liked the gratuitous violence but you didn't like the most gratuitous ridiculous part because that was probably my favorite part (laughs) by that i was just like uh what you doing there scott He's just showing him he's the big dog. He's in charge. He's eating your organs in your face. I have to say, <laughs> other than Isabel's horrible acting, that was my least for favorite part of the movie. I, I thought it was fun. So It just confused me. <laughs> in terms of other recommendations for this week, Kung Lee has appeared in a number of things. He's one of those MMA guys who's crossed over into acting. Uh, He played Bronze Lion in Man with the Iron Fists, the kung fu movie directed by the RZA from Wu-Tang Clan. And I will admit that Man with the Iron Fists is not a great movie. It's pretty dumb and in a number of ways cheesy, but I also think it's really entertaining and part of the reason is the cast. Um, Kung Lee as Bronze Lion is okay, but it's really Byron Mann as Golden Lion that I love. Uh, Russell Crowe's also hilarious as a character that Riza said he based on the personality of old Dirty Bastard. And it's got some pretty cool fight scenes, lots of special effects and stuff. Not really down and dirty martial arts, but it's entertaining Kung Lee is also in AMC's Into the Badlands, which I've watched the whole first season and the story still hasn't 100% grabbed me. Um, It's a post-apocalyptic world without firearms that's basically an excuse for a feudal martial arts-based society. Um, I kind of hate one of the main characters, 
and the actor who plays them, but other than that, the cast is pretty good, and while the story isn't amazing, it has the best fight scenes on television now that Banshee is no longer with us, so I will recommend that just on the strength of the fight scenes alone. Uh, And for Keith David, as we mentioned, he's been in a million things, most of which are... A lot of them are pretty well known. He's in a lot of obscure small stuff too because he'll just take any role that he's offered. He's a hard working actor. For one of his less known things, I'm going to give a shout out to The Job, which was a sitcom that aired on ABC in the early 2000s where Dennis Leary plays a complete asshole of a cop and Keith David is your typical action movie style angry chief or lieutenant in this case who yells at the main character all the time except in the job it's completely justified because Dennis Leary's character is a piece of shit and so it's real fun seeing Keith David yell at him Um, this was one of those shows like Jay Moore's uh, action on Fox where if it was made a few years later it would have fit perfectly on FX but because it came out on a network in the early 2000s, it was full of lots of bleeps and really dark humor and plot lines and people didn't know what to make of it and rejected it. Um, it, it got canceled after two seasons, but it's very, very funny and is probably the last time I could really tolerate Dennis Leary. I felt like at some point during his show after this rescue me where he was a fireman instead of a cop he kind of went up his own asshole and his newest show where he plays a rock star i can't even go near Um, but i'd say the job is like that optimum level where dennis leary is playing a character who's an asshole but the show doesn't worship the ground he walks on and it also has a great supporting cast um that's not available on streaming anywhere, but you can buy it on DVD or Vudu. Man with the Iron Fist is not streaming anywhere right now, surprisingly, either. But you can rent that or find it in your Walmart bargain bin, probably. And Into the Badlands first season is streaming on Netflix. Uh, as I mentioned, Savage Dog is streaming, or Savage Dog is available for rental on Amazon right now, and will come out on dvd before the end of november and as always i want to thank my brother for designing our logo check out his work at cjc.design on instagram and cousin pete for our theme song he's out of control check him out on razor mouth productions on facebook that's productions with a z